Paul writing to a young man, Timothy. And back then, they would say that if a guy was under 40 years old, he'd be considered young. How many of you are under 40? Okay, look at all these young people. Let's give them a big round of applause here, all the young people of the world. We can't make it without you. Okay. Now, some people say, this commentary is a reading, that Timothy was like between 25 and maybe 35. But as you read the Bible in 1 Timothy, it says here, Paul says to Timothy, let no one despise your youth. Have you ever gone to a church and seen a young preacher? I mean, in, in the South, they have what are called preacher boys. And they'll have a guy like he's 13 years old, and before the whole church, he's preaching hellfire, and he's, he's getting up with his Bible, and he's you know, like a little 13-year-old boy. He's up there, and he's pounding the pulpit with a Bible, and he says, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. Just a 13-year-old kid. And if, if you go on YouTube, you see these kind of guys, and it's really fascinating because they're raised up as preacher boys that preach the Word of God. But never despise somebody's youth Although what I've learned that in, in ministry is that you do get a little wiser as you get a little older because, I mean, it's really tough for a 13-year-old to be counseling a married couple. And so let me tell you guys, this is the facts of birds and bees, the facts of life. It doesn't happen that way. You mature with age and from experience. The Apostle Paul taught that. And... So, but he's saying, hey, Timothy, don't let anybody despise your youth. And you're going to find that, and what I found in ministry, when I graduated from seminary, I was 30 years old, and right away I was, uh, uh, I started ministry. And, and, and when you start coming out of seminary, you think you got all this knowledge, and you think you know a lot of things. And you, the problem with a person that graduates from seminary is you can become proud. And you can become head knowledge and thinking, well, I got all this information. I know more than you. There's a danger with knowledge. There's a danger with youthfulness, with too much knowledge that, that is not in the Spirit of God and not really walking by the Spirit. Paul is saying, let no one despise your youth, but be an example to believers. So he's saying, Timothy, you're a young guy. And you know what? People are going to question your youth. But as a young man, let the character of Christ be living out through you so that when they see your behavior, they're going to say, this guy is right on. He's living by what he teaches. So youth, age doesn't really matter, but let your conduct. So beginning with, but be an example to the believers in word is the first example. He says, be an example to the believers in in word. This is from verse chapter 12. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word. Now, the word here, and for example, in Proverbs it says, read this with me, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. He says, in word. Timothy, the words you say are going to be measured by God's word. Speak the words of God. Has anyone ever had time when you were really down and out and somebody called you up and just really gave you a good word of encouragement or just a, a good word, just really something that was like, and scripture says, like apples, gold, of gold in settings of silver 
a word spoken at the right circumstances. Sometimes you might be really, really completely dejected in life, but somebody will tap you on the shoulder and say, you know what, I'm going to stand there with you. I want to support you. And you know what, with God, all things are possible. And they start giving you scripture, and they say, you know what, the Lord is not going to abandon you. The Lord is with you. And you know what, I'm going to stand with you too. Those are words of God. And every time you open your mouth, you need to measure your words. Are they in line with Scripture? Don't just speak your words. You know, so, so often people give commentary and, and like philosophies of what's going on in life, but always measure, is this what, what Jesus would say? Is this scriptural? Am I what I am saying backed up by the Word of God? Now, it's, it's too easy to come up with your own philosophy, just like I, I think I mentioned last week. Remember some of those teachings, God helps those who help themselves. That is not in the Bible. And there, there's so many Ben Franklinisms that people think, well, maybe that's in Scripture. What God is saying, get back to the Word of God, Timothy, and you will know how to teach the Word of God. And Proverbs says, 15.1, read this with me, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You know what takes the life of Christ? Jesus was abused. He was talked about and, and really just criticized. But Jesus was, Jesus was somebody that spoke in love. You're going to be criticized. You're going to be abused. Don't retaliate and act harsh with people. Always say, you know what? God loves you. And you know what? I want to give you the Word of God. And, this, and share with people what the Word of God says. And talk to people with a gentle answer. And it turns away wrath. The best way to start an argument was when somebody's arguing with you, you go ahead and start arguing back. When God is saying, listen, I can turn this whole relationship around if you give them a gentle answer. A gentle answer will turn away that wrath. So that's a proverb from Solomon. And an incredible thing is that what Jesus taught is, listen, when he was on the cross, they hurled insults at him. But you know what? Jesus did not open his mouth to retaliate back. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. When's the last time you've come up with that in your heart? Lord, forgive them. Help me not to be like them, but help me to be loving. And this is a tough thing, because what God is saying is that I want to change your character, Timothy. I want to change your whole reflection on how you do ministry. You're not going to do it like the Greek culture, which the Greek culture was a debating culture. The Greek culture was a culture which Timothy was coming out of there in Ephesus, was Let's get, on the, let's get on the stage and debate and duke it out and insult each other and you don't know how to do it and I know how to do it. God is saying, this is how you do it. You tell people in the name of Christ to repent, to believe in Jesus, and they will be saved. So be an example to believers in word and then in conduct. What kind of conduct do you have, Timothy? Hebrews 13.5 says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So he says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Covetousness is really just wanting what somebody else has. Hey, man, that guy's got a, a better 
car than I have. If I could only get his car, uh, let me see, how do I do this? How many of you ever seen that movie, Gone in 60 Seconds? Okay, well, it's anyway. There's certain people that like Mustangs or what is it, Shelby, uh, is that what? what? A Cobra, okay. Some people are really into that. How many of you in the Cobras here? I've got a couple of Cobra people. Or okay, some, and, and they, they think, well, I remember when I was a, a kid, I used to do models. How many of you guys used to do modeling? And just you take, I remember getting glue everywhere until somebody told me, take a toothpick, you use the toothpick, put a little glue on it, and then you can build a model. And, but I would get glue everywhere. It would be on my hands. And I was like 11-year-old boy, 12-year-old boy, trying to build a, a Shelby Cobra or another type of car. And... Uh, GTO, and somebody said, use a toothpick, Louie, and they put, dab a little uh, glue on there and apply it, and you get a better job done. I could never get the wheels of my car to move because I always glue them together to the frame of the car. And it was like, man, how do you guys do that? And Yvonne and I went to a hobby shop yesterday over on, uh, on Convoy. You ever been to that hobby shop over here on Convoy? And incredible models, incredible vehicles that people had put together. Somebody took patience and time. And it's never a 12-year-old boy putting those together. It's usually a 60-year-old guy or 50-year-old guy, right? It's, it's, the, it's the guy that's really he's got a lot more patience. But the Bible says, Let your conduct be without covetous. Be content with such things as you have, Timothy. In Greek culture, they taught that wealth was a reward from God. The Jewish culture taught that wealth was a reward from God. Well, they would look at a millionaire and say, man, that guy really must be living for God because look at all the blessings that God has given him. I mean, that guy is really living up there. In fact, the poor people, by religious standards, were considered to be, you know, you got to start living for God because, you know, if you don't, I can tell you're poor, you don't have any shoes, you must not be living for God. Any barefoot people here in our church today? And so, I mean, some preacher, preachers do that. You'll go to some churches where they say, you know what, God has given me a Cadillac, and the reason why I can't live, have a Cadillac is because, man, I, I'm living for God. And that is not good theology. Paul is saying here, or the Hebrew writer is saying, let your conduct be without covetousness. You know, the most incredible thing about what God has done in our lives here in our church, is he kept us, he's keeping us right now for some reason. We're, a, by some standards, a poor church. Joe went to Shadow Mountain yesterday and he called me up and he said, Hey, Louie, they have this projector over here, which is like a, a uh, we have a PowerPoint projector and it's a, a 2000 lumen. They said, They have a projector over here that is a 20,000 lumens. And so with daylight and everything pouring in. Anyway, I'm thinking, man, wouldn't it be great to have a projector like that in our church? How much are those projectors? Oh, you know, like about $40,000 or something. Yeah, or a couple of hundred thousand dollars, okay. Hey, but you know what? We don't need that thing. We, we are happy over here, right? You can read the letters, okay. But in some churches, they get covetousness. And it's like, man, if only we can get those things. What God has done in our church is given us a lot of wealth in love. And the more wealth you have in love, the more powerful you are to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Don't think about getting rich. Don't think about get-rich-quick schemes. Listen, the Bible says be content with being a righteous man of God, a righteous woman of God. And I want you to be focused on me, and you're going to be the richest Christian with God in your whole world, not financially, but in heart and in purity. And that's why Proverbs 15:8 says, a hot-tempered hot man stirs up dissension. We're talking about the word, and, but a patient man calms quarrel. A patient man calms quarrel. How many of you here are peacemakers? Raise your hand. You see a fight, you like to get into it. Let's break it up, boys. Let's, come on, let's have some peace. And sometimes, I mean, that's what God has called you to do, to be a peacemaker. God is saying, I want peacemakers in the church. How many of you need prayer about being peacemakers? You need to, okay, we've got a couple of people here. And you know what? They're very brave to raise your hand. We're going to take all the peacemakers over here and all the quarrels over here, and we're going to try to bring some unity, okay? But what God is saying is that I want to bring you people to be in the conduct that is fitting for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible is saying. Paul is telling Timothy, Paul, uh, Timothy, because you're such a young guy, Young guys have a problem with controlling their temper. Young guys fly off the handle. It takes years of experience before you finally realize you don't have to get mad at the whole world. Let God have a portion. And let, God have a, let God deal with that. And then be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, and then in love. The word for love here is the word agape. And the Bible uses several references for the word love, and the other one is agape, and the other one is phileo. But I like what it says here. Look, open up your Bibles to 1 John, or, well, circle this word here, 1 John. It says, And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us, and that He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Where does love originate? It originates in God. It doesn't originate in you. It originates in God. And you will never be able to love anybody unless you know the love of God. Now, our culture, people say, you got to love yourself before you love other people. That is not in the Bible. You say, give yourself a hug right now. Just, just show you. If you're feeling, if you're starting to complain and you're starting to uh, grumble about yourself and say, I'm no good and I'm such a terrible person. And people say, well, give yourself a hug. Tell yourself you love yourself. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't. You know, the problem with us is that we love ourselves too much. You, I mean, that's where sin comes in is because you love yourself so much, it causes selfishness, it causes greediness, it causes putting yourself first. And the Bible is saying, wait a minute. The Bible says, deny yourself. The Bible says to die to yourself. The Bible says to surrender yourself to God. So don't love yourself. That's the problem we have in our culture is that we love ourselves before loving other people. The, Bible, the two things you need to write down here, the two things that are so incredible about what our mission is in our church is to love God, number one, 
Love God. Write that down. Love God, number one. And the second thing Jesus taught, love your neighbor as yourself. So these two things, love God, love people. In that order, love God first and love people. Then, you know what? You're going to discover really the love of Christ and you will be able to understand the power of God's love and be able to share that with other people. Now, here, let's look, look at John chapter 21 because this is an incredible passage in the Gospel of John chapter 21. In uh, beginning with verse 15, Jesus has already resurrected from the dead. He has already appeared to many people and now he is appearing to the disciples at the very end here. And he says, so when they had eaten breakfast, Simon, son of Jonah, Jesus said to Simon, to Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he's saying to his disciples, he's saying to Peter, do you love me more than the rest of these guys, Peter? He's saying, do you agape me? Now, this isn't a, a very interesting thing because what Scripture is saying is that Jesus is saying, do you agape me, Peter? Do you love me more than these? And the word for love up here is agape. It means an unconditional love. It's God's love for you. That God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. And you know how Peter responds? There he was. They were on the seashore. And, and Peter is, is talking to Jesus. And, and Peter says to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, in English, the problem is, is that the, word, the two words for love appear the same, L-O-V-E. But in Greek, the first word, Jesus' word, Peter, do you love me, agape me? But Peter responds, not, yes, I agape you, Jesus, I phileo you. That means I like you. It would be like as if you're on this date with, I mean, you really love this girl. And he says, man, I love you so much. I would just give my life for you. i just just crazy about you. I love you. Capital big G, uh, big L-O-V-E. And you know what the girl says to you when you say, do you love me? Yeah, I, I, I like you. It just, oh man, it just about, it'll floor you, right? It's just like, you know, you only get a like. No, wait a minute. Do you love me or do you like me? Well, right now, just kinda, I just kind of like you. Oh, you're just crazy about this girl. And all she says is, I like you. You want to hear love. You want to hear agape. Right, Joey? Okay. Joey's got, well, okay. <laughs> right. Agape. I, Jesus is saying, Peter, do you agape me? Peter says, you know, Lord, I really like you. I, can you imagine? He's been with him for three years. He's seen all the miracles of Jesus. He, he's seen Jesus raise the dead. He's seen Jesus heal the lame, heal the blind. He's, Jesus fed 5,000 people with two, a couple of loaves and fishes. And the best he can do is, you know what, Jesus, I really like you. And then, in verse, continuing on here, he said to him, well, then, feed my lambs. And when he's saying feed my lambs, he said, you know what, Peter, if you really love me, I want you to go out there and 
teach the word of God and be a shepherd to those who are without a shepherd and to feed the lambs. That means you're going to preach the gospel. You're going to be a minister in the church of God. You're going to teach them the word of God. You're going to teach them my words, and you're going to be able to feed them. And in verse 16, he says, Jesus said to Peter a second time. This is the second time. The first time Peter says, I really like you. The second time Peter, Jesus says to him again, uh, Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you lo love me? Do you agape me? Do you unconditionally love me with all your heart? And you know how Peter responds the second time. Lord, you know I really like you. Again, Peter tells Jesus, I, I just, the best I can do right now, Jesus, is tell you I really like you. What was Peter afraid of? He was afraid of commitment. He had seen Jesus go to the cross. He had seen Jesus be tortured. He knew that if he was to sell out for Jesus and say, Jesus, man, I'm so radically committed to you right now that I would die for you, I really agape you, he knew that there would be Roman soldiers right breathing down his neck that take him to the cross next. He was afraid. He was afraid of going to the cross. Peter was so afraid of going to the, be the next guy to be crucified. He saw Jesus mutilated on the cross. He saw Jesus crucified. He says, man, can I really commit you know what God is saying to all of us here this morning? That if you cannot say, Jesus, I agape you, that I, I really love you, that I'm really willing to follow you with all my heart, you're saying, I'm afraid. I'm afraid to give up things. There's too much covetousness in my life. There's too much sin in my life that I have not really committed to Christ. Yes, I'm willing to say I like Jesus. I'm willing to go to church once in a while. I'm willing to give some money once in a while. But really to sell out for Christ, I don't know if I could do that. And this is the question that Jesus is proposing to all of us here this morning. Are you totally agape in love with Jesus? And that's, this is what Paul is telling Timothy. Timothy, if you're going to be a man of God, you're going to be preaching the gospel, you've got to be agape, you've got to be teaching the word of God in total love and total commitment. And look what happens here in verse 17. In verse 6, he says, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you, this time Jesus says, do you phileo me? Do you really just like me, Peter? Do you like me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? Do you phileo me? And he said to Lord, him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I like you. You know, the incredible thing here is that what God is saying is that you can't just like Jesus. You can't just say, you know what, Christianity is okay once in a while on a Sunday morning. I really have to be totally sold out, and I'm willing to give up all my life in order to be a follower of Jesus. Are you going to do that this morning? Are you going to say, yes, Jesus, I am going to walk with you? That means in my conduct, my words, and my actions, I'm totally, my business, everything I'm going to give to you. You need to do that today. And then to be an example of, to the believers, not only in word and in conduct and in, in love, you need to be an example 
in spirit. And that's what it said. Uh, in some versions, you're not going to see this. In, in New King James and King James, you have the word spirit, pneuma. In the New American Standard, you will not find it. But pneuma in spirit, in that what God wants you to be is totally sold out to Christ, in that your whole being, you're, you're in love, you're going to be completely committed to the Word of God. And that the next word for is faith. You'd be sold out to Christ in faith. That's the word pistis. And then impurity, hagnia. These three Greek words. And what God is saying is here is that you're going to be so completely radically changed that you're going to be saying, I, I want to be a part of this family of God and I'm not going to let anything come between me. That's why the word for faith here in Matthew 14 it says immediate look open up your bibles to matthew 14 with me i want to look here in verse 22 matthew chapter 14 beginning with verse 22 here is jesus he's walking on water and peter sees him on the water and verse 22 it says immediately jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side and while he sent the multitudes away and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to him, to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And when Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said to him, Come. And when Peter had come up out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Now, here is the, the incredible thing. Jesus is walking on water. Peter says, Lord, if that's you, call me to come out in the water with you and to walk. This takes incredible faith to say, Jesus, if you're walking on water, I want to be with you too. And I'm willing to take that faith, that step of faith, and come out and walk on water with you. Peter gets up out of the boat. He puts one foot into the water, and it's holding him up. He takes another foot. He, he's actually standing on a wave, and he's not sinking. Whoa, this is, this is different. I've never walked on water before. This is really working. And all of a sudden, it gets a little windy, and the winds start kicking up. And what happens? Peter loses faith. This water is a little too choppy for me. Jesus, forget it. He begins to sink, and he says, Jesus, save me. What happens here? He says in verse 31, And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Who else could walk on water? Who else could calm the storm? Who else could be the one that, that could actually have somebody else walk on water and save somebody? 
only God. And they worship Jesus as truly you are the Son of God. And literally when they said that, they're saying, really, you are the Messiah. You are God in the flesh. They believed. They were totally in faith at that moment. They believed that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be. You see, in our lives, we're not willing to believe Jesus totally. We don't have that pistis faith. We don't believe him because we think, well, maybe, God, you worked back in the Old Testament. You parted the Red Sea and you helped Peter walk on water. But you know what, Lord? I got too many problems today. I have too many financial problems. I don't know if I could believe in you. I have some marital problems, Lord, and I don't know if you're going to be able to fix these problems. You're not believing or you have some issues in your life. You say, these, these are so big, I don't know how God can do it. I don't know if I can believe in God. And God is saying, wait a minute, didn't I call Peter out into the water and he walked on water? What is wrong with your faith, Jesus is saying? I want you to believe in me, and I'm going to be right there to hold you and catch you. When, we're, when are we going to learn as a church? When are we going to get it? I, I, I know that God is saying this, and even in my heart, I said, Lord, I want to believe too. I really want to believe, and I want to walk with you. Help me to believe totally. And you know what God is saying here in verse 13, going back, going back to 1 Timothy chapter 4, if you're looking back at 1 Timothy chapter 4, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. And the word for exhortation is paraklesis. And that's from the two Greek words. Para means alongside, where you get like paramedic. And then klesis, kaleo, to call out. To call alongside. What God is doing is calling alongside. And it's just that in order to be a minister of God, in order for you to be an effective in ministry, you need to call near to encourage and to comfort and to advise. To be a minister of God, parakaleo. He's saying, Timothy, you call alongside, you exhort the brethren. You, you encourage people. You're, you're ministering to people. You're, you're giving them the word of God, and then you're, they'll be comforted. And, and, and the word for exhortation at times, you are firm with people and say, you know what, brother? I love you, but you're going the wrong way. You're, you're, you're not following the Lord, and you need to get back and to start following the Lord. That's a part of exhortation. Exhortation is a, a portion of admonishment. You're encouraging people, but a, a gentle rebuke in order for them to get back in line with God because you know that they're going away from God. So parakaleo, to call alongside Hey, brother, can I have some coffee with you? Let me, let me tell you, I really love you, but I see that you're going the wrong direction. You're about to go off a cliff. This is a part of the ministry of the church, and this is what Paul is telling Timothy. You need to exhort people to correct doctrine. And then he says in verse 14, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by the prophecy of the laying on of hands and of the eldership. And the word for laying on the hands here is really a public recognition of, of what the Holy Spirit has already done. You see, the Holy Spirit is the one who called Peter, or, and, and also Paul, the Holy Spirit is the one who led them. Jesus called them, but now they're being led by the Holy Spirit. 
But there was a time when Timothy had, they laid hands on Timothy to confirm what God was already doing in his life. He was a man of God. Now, in ministry, ministry isn't, doesn't mean that just because you went and got some Bible education means that you're ready to preach or med, ready to minister. Parakaleo and, and also the laying on of hands means that you are being recognized by the body of believers because of your conduct and because of your lifestyle that, yes, this person has been set apart to be a minister in the Word of God. And then, and that's why it says in Acts 13, 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. The Holy Spirit is the one who calls you. You ever hear that voice from the Holy Spirit? You know what? That person needs to hear about Jesus. Why don't you go over there and knock on their door and talk to them about the Lord? That's the Holy Spirit. Or, you know what? That person that... Uh, that person at school or that person at work, would you talk to that person about the Lord? And they need encouragement. This is what's so neat about uh, Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. We have an evangelism team from our church, and they go down to the strip malls around here, and they just start inviting people to church. And every Sunday, Craig and, and David Zook and anybody else who wants to go with them says, yeah, we talked to a few people out there, and they say, I was just asking God for someone to tell me about the Lord and this is an answer to prayer. You came and talked to me. And, and this is happening all the time in our, in our church. People need to, people right now in San Diego need to hear the gospel, and you are the one. And that's why he says, for, they've been set apart for the work which I've called them. That's the Holy Spirit. Right now, there are people that are talking to God and say, God, I want to get my life right with you, but I don't know how. I don't know where to start. And God is calling you to be an effective minister, calling you to come and bring the good news to them. So while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me. And this is really important because who is the one speaking here? Set apart for me. That is the Holy Spirit is speaking. The third person of the Trinity. This is God. God is speaking. And he's saying, listen. There are people in ministry right now, people in the church that need to go and do the work of God. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy to do. And then he says, meditate on these things. Verse 15 of, of uh, 1 Timothy 4. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. And the word for meditate is melatao. It means to cultivate, to attend to carefully. Meditate on these things, on the Word of God. These things, the Word of God. Meditate on them. Cultivate them. How many gardeners are there here? Any gardeners besides me? Got a couple of gardeners, okay. You know, when you garden, it, it takes... You can tell a person that hasn't gardened, they've neglected their garden. You could tell a person that has been taking care of their garden. And gardens don't happen by accident. I mean, it takes cultivation, it takes work, it takes tending to. You know, a, a, a good gardener, and you have to constantly be looking out for the leaves because there are parasites that get on the leaves. And my roses, if I don't, I see, hey, wait a minute, there's a worm on my leaf. I, I look at the leaf and I notice it's chewed up. Aha, there's a worm on my rose plant. And I, you know what I do? I hunt them down. I hunt down that worm and I say, I, I know that you're around here somewhere and I'm going to find you. And I'm going to put you out of business. 
I've looked for that worm, and there he is. I, I see the, he leaves a little trail behind too. And, I, and, and that's what happens is that cultivation, in order for you to be successful in your spiritual life, you need to be diligent in the Word of God. And that's why we have our Tuesday night home fellowship with the men. Cultivate your spiritual life. Get involved in a, get, get into a small group and a home fellowship. Cultivate your spiritual life because there are parasites, parasites that want to invade your spiritual life. And God is saying, unless you cultivate it, damage will happen. And then there's that damage control issue. God is saying, cultivate, attend to it carefully. Attend to your spiritual life carefully, Timothy, especially in ministry. Ministry can get out of control in a pastor's life unless we're, we're working, I'm working, cultivating my own personal life. But you know what? You're a minister too. You need to cultivate your life. Spiritually, get right with God. And then this last verse, take heed to yourself and to doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing so you will save both yourself and those who hear you. And the word here for save is not for salvation, for justification, but is for sanctification. But the word for save here is the word sozo, to rescue from peril or destruction. But it is the, the word that we use for uh, sanctification, to be set apart, to be living for Christ, sozo. So set your life apart. As a believer, I'm going to set myself apart, not to follow my own desires or the ways of this world, but to be living for Jesus. Amen? That's what God is calling us to do. Let's bow in a word of prayer, because the challenge that God has given us today is to be living a life that's con conducted following Jesus. Lord, we pray that today we will be totally committed to you. And Lord, we refuse anymore to follow our own personal desires, but what are your desires, your will for our lives? And Lord, I pray that for our church, above all, that we will fall in love with you, fall in love with your word, be cultivating our lives for righteousness because there's so much disease in this world, but yet in Christ we are strong in christ we are purged from this evil and to be set apart to be living for you lord there's victory in jesus and above all lord we we want to just love you and and just be walking with you help us lord in our weakness peter was weak and he sank we don't want to do that we don't want to sink in faith we want to be standing firm on solid ground on, on the rock of christ you're here this morning. You just pray this prayer with me. If you're struggling right now with your walk, you need direction. Just silently right where you're seated. Just pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I need to be saved. I need to be set apart, sanctified in my spiritual life so that I am no longer living for myself, but I'm living for you, Lord. I want to be a Christian that is totally living by faith, not walking as people in this culture do, the destructive ways of this lifestyle, but to be walking firmly in your footsteps. 
Lord, you know my life, and I, I am weak, but you said you are strong. And you have called me, Lord, today to walk by faith, and that's what I want to do. Just as Paul challenged Timothy to be an example to the believers, I want to be an example in my walk to others too, Lord. Lord, I invite you into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me, wash me, renew me. And Lord, you know that above all, I, I need to examine my heart so that I am not living selfishly for myself, but how can I be making the kingdom of God number one in my life, your kingdom? And I want to do that today, Lord, to put aside my desires and to live for you. So Jesus, come into my life. I want to make you my Lord, my King, my Savior. And I'm looking forward to your return. And Lord, thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said.